David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen them, they spread the word concerning what they had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She, the, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. Have you ever wondered where God is? A couple of years ago, around Thanksgiving, we took our four-year-old grandson, Landon, to see the trumpeter swans up by Heber Springs. It's an amazing sight if you haven't been there before. But as usual with four-year-old kids... Landon quickly lost interest. However, he did ask my wife, Susan, if he could borrow her binoculars, and then he began to look at everything except the trumpeter swans. Finally, he raised the binoculars, and he was staring up in the sky, and he said, the sky is really blue, but I don't see Jesus Well, Landon was hardly the first person to make that observation. Back in 1961, Yuri Gargarin, the Russian cosmonaut, surprised the whole world by making the first orbit around the world in space. And when he got back to Earth, he is reported to have said, I looked and I looked but I didn't see God. Have you ever wondered where God is? Habakkuk, one of the Old Testament prophets, wondered that. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, this is Habakkuk's complaint. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? 
Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. God, where are you? The world is in such a mess and it just seems to be getting worse and worse. What Habakkuk failed to understand is that God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. Let me say that again. God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. Look at how God answers Habakkuk's complaint. In verses 5 and 6, God says to Habakkuk, Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. Now, you can look at all of the human history books you want to, and you will not find a single reference to God's, in, God's activity in these events that are spoken of here. But in the Bible, God's revealed word, we are told that it was God who was raising up the dreaded Babylonians and their leader, Nebuchadnezzar, to accomplish his sovereign purposes in this world. You see, God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. Now let's look at our text and see if we can see any more of God's activity in this world. One of the reasons I believe that people do not see God's activity in this world is because they look for God's activity in miracles. And it is true that God is active in miracles, but God is not only the God of the ordinary or the God of miracles, he is the God of the ordinary. And God is just as active in ordinary events as he is in miraculous events. As we have just seen, it was God who raised up Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to accomplish his sovereign purposes through the ordinary events carried out by Nebuchadnezzar and his empire at the beginning of the exile of Israel. Now, look over in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 1 through 4, and it says this, This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord. 
the God of Israel, who summons you by name, for the sake of Jacob, my servant, of Israel, my chosen, to summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you, Cyrus, do not acknowledge me. Here is God once again, as in the time of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians at the beginning of Israel's, of Israel's exile, saying that he is using the ordinary events of Cyrus and the Persian Empire to accomplish his sovereign purposes at the end of Israel's exile by declaring the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple. In fact, the last verse in chapter 44 says, who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt and of the temple, let its foundation be laid. Again, you can look at all the human history books you want to and you will not find a single reference to God's activity in these events that are being spoken of. But because we have the Bible, the revealed word of God, we can see things that we wouldn't see otherwise. And what we see is that God is active in the ordinary events of kings and emperors and empires to accomplish his sovereign purposes. God is active in the political and the military operations of these empires to bring about his purposes in the world. You see, God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. Look now at Luke chapter 2, verse 1. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man of the most powerful empire on the face of the world at this time, is said to have issued a decree that a census be taken of the entire Roman world. A strictly administrative event, something that happens in our country every 10 years or so. An ordinary event, but not popular. Josephus, the historian, tells us that there were a number of uprisings because of this decree, because back then, as today, people didn't trust their leaders. And censuses and higher taxation tended to go hand in hand. And besides that, it was just such an inconvenience because everybody had to go back to their ancestral home to be registered for the census. And in Joseph and Mary's case, that meant that they had to travel about 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem because that was Joseph's ancestral home and, and Mary was way pregnant. Back then it would have taken three to four days to accomplish this trip depending on how many times Mary had to stop at a rest stop. 
For most people, this was a bother. It was, it was just a hassle for them to go through this. Yet, do you see God's activity in this very ordinary event? You see, just as God had used Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus to accomplish his sovereign purposes in the world, what we see here from the Bible is that God was using Caesar Augustus to accomplish what the prophet Micah had foretold in Micah 5.2, that Jesus, the Savior of the world, would be born in Bethlehem. The human history books say nothing about God's activity in this. Only the Bible lets us know and to see God's activity in this world. Do you doubt that God is still as active in the ordinary events of this world now as he was back in Bible times? Don't. It's just that God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. Secondly, do you see that God is active in ordinary places? Isn't it surprising that God determined that the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, would be born in Bethlehem? Why Bethlehem? It was, it was just a little village. Bethlehem was to Jerusalem what places like Palarm and Panky are to Little Rock. Nothing ever happens there. Most people don't even know where those places are. Wouldn't it have been much more appropriate for Jesus to have been born in a palace in Jerusalem than in a stable in Bethlehem. No, because God is active in ordinary places. About 11 years ago, Susan and I moved back to Arkansas to a little town called McCray. Uh, most of you will not know where that is, I think Doc and Peggy do because they go by uh, the exit anyhow every time they go up to uh, the Arkansas Upper Cervical uh, Center. I remember one day after moving there that I had to pull over at a small town just before you get to McCray called Ward to get some gasoline. I'd never been to Ward before and uh, as I pulled in uh, to Ward, I noticed on the right-hand side there was this old, decrepit metal building that had a big sign that said, The Ward Coliseum. Well, to my knowledge, the Trans-Siberian Orchestra has never booked the Ward Coliseum. And as far as I know, Bruno Mars, who's going to be here next year, has never booked 
the Ward Coliseum either. Why? Because entertainers want to be in the big cities. That's where everything is happening. But that's not the way that God operates. God is active in ordinary places. Places like Bethlehem and places even more ordinary than that. How about in the fields outside of Bethlehem? Can you imagine the Trans-Siberian Orchestra scheduling an event outside of the city of Ward? Not even in their Colosseum, but out in the fields outside of Ward. Or Bruno Mars doing that, or anybody of note. No, of course not, because that's not the way we operate, but it is the way that God operates. God is active in ordinary places. God is active in large churches like Emmanuel Baptist and Fellowship Bible Church, but God is also active in small, ordinary churches like Trinity Fellowship, where I worship, or Covenant Presbyterian, where we're worshiping this morning. God is active in large national ministries like Focus on the Family and Family Life and American Family Radio, but God is also active in local, ordinary ministries like the Union Rescue Mission, like the Dorcas House, and like the orchard. God is active in large conferences like uh, those that are put on by R.C. Sproul and Tim Keller, but God is also active in small gatherings of his people where we study the Bible together and pray together. God, as we have seen, is active in the palaces of kings and emperors, but he's also active in our ordinary homes, too, where we are trying to raise our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And God is active in his church, but he's also active in our ordinary vocations, in the workplace where Christians are being salt and light on a daily basis, as Martin Luther once said, the common milkmaid and the carter of manure do a work more worthy in the sight of God than a thousand prayers of a Carthusian monk. Do you doubt that God is just as active in ordinary places today as he was back in Bible times? Don't. It's just that God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. And finally, do you see that God is active in the lives of ordinary men and women? God is active in the lives of ordinary people. It's amazing, isn't it, that that God made the announcement of the birth of his son, the savior of the world, not to the rich and powerful in an important city, but he made it to poor, lowly shepherds in a field outside of Bethlehem. And even though many of the heroes of Israel were shepherds, men like Abraham and Moses and David, the fact of the matter is, 
that shepherds were not very highly regarded in that society at that time. According to some of the rabbinic sources that we have from the first century, it says this, most of the time they, the shepherds, were dishonest and thieving. They led their herds onto other people's land and pilfered the produce of the land. Because they were often months at a time without supervision, they were often accused of stealing some of the increase of the flock. Consequently, the pious were warned not to buy wool, milk, or kids from shepherds on the assumption that it was stolen property. Shepherds were not allowed to fill a judicial office or to be admitted in court as witnesses. A midrash on Psalm 23:2 reads, there is no more disreputable occupation than that of a shepherd. These people were not just ordinary people, these were deplorables. But God is active in the lives of ordinary people, even deplorables. Why preach the gospel to people like this? Well, our text tells us in verse 10 and 11, it says, but the angel said to them, to the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Why was the gospel proclaimed to these ordinary people? Because the gospel is for all people. It's not for any particular group. No group is left out. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The gospel message is not just for important people, for rich people, for powerful people, for good people. It's not for adults. It's not just for children. It's not just for men or just for women. It's not just for whites. It's not just for blacks or Asians or Hispanics. The gospel is for all people, including ordinary people and even the deplorables. Every time you see a person come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is a sign that God is active in ordinary people's lives. This last year at Trinity Fellowship, we saw a number of our children make their profession of faith in the church. And there's nothing more ordinary than children. And it's easy to overlook, to not see what God is doing in the world in these situations. But in each case, that profession of faith was a sign that God was active in the lives of these ordinary children. When the shepherds went to Bethlehem, to the stable, to see the Lord Jesus as they were commanded to, what, what did they see? They saw a baby lying in a manger, attended by two very ordinary people who couldn't even get a room 
in the inn. They were surrounded by barn animals. There was nothing in that scene to compel the shepherds to acknowledge that this was the Son of God, the Savior of the world. But they weren't disappointed and they did not doubt. They believed and they were filled with joy. But the question is, where did that belief come from? Where did that faith come from? It didn't come merely from what they saw. There was nothing there to compel them to believe. What it means is that God was active in their lives. That God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, caused them to be born again so that they could see what God was doing in the world and rejoice in it and praise God for it. Do you doubt that God is still active in the lives of ordinary people, of ordinary men and women today, just as he was in Bible times? Don't. It's just that God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. Have you ever wondered, where is God? We wouldn't be wrong to say that God is everywhere. After all, omnipresence is one of the attributes of God, but sometimes God is hard to see. And I love what our text says about Mary's response to all these things that had happened and were happening to her. In verse 19 it says, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. To treasure up means to store information in our minds so that we might give careful consideration to it. To ponder means to give careful thought to Very often, we don't see God in the things that are going on around us. It's hard to make sense of what's going on in our personal lives or in the world at large. We need to follow Mary's example and treasure up the information that we have in God's Word that confirms to us that God is active in this world, that he's active in ordinary events, in ordinary places, in ordinary people's lives. Human history books won't help us here. It's only the Bible that allows us to see what we would not see otherwise. Do you doubt that God is still active in ordinary events, in ordinary places, in ordinary people's lives today, just as he was in Bible times, don't. It's just that God's activity in this world is more real than it is apparent. And the Bible tells us so. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us in the dark. That you have not just wound up your creation like a clock.
to let it wind down. Father, that you are involved in this world to an extent that most of us just fail to see. Thank you for your word, Father, for not leaving us in the dark, for giving us this information that alone can give us hope for ourselves and for this world. Father, we thank you that you are active in our lives. We thank you that you are active in the places where we live and work. We thank you that you are active in ordinary events just like the election that we had in this country. Father, we may not see exactly what you are doing, but we have enough information from your word to know that you are in control and therefore we have nothing to fear and we who have trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior can have perfect peace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.